Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Jesus 911. Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Ruben Nava, Jesse Romero, two man car. Good morning, Jesse. How are you, sir? Reporting for duty, sir. Hey, uh, Ruben, I just want to let's just let the people know that uh, I'm uh, I'm fully healed from my uh, from my prostate surgery. So that's that is what a blessing to be healed from that. Mm-hmm. Man, oh man, was that a month and a half of uh, man? I got I got taken to the woodshed, but hey, got to got to offer a lot of penance. Uh, now I'm working on a second thing. I got, I'm going to go see a doctor this week for the shingles. So, uh, hopefully, uh, I start, uh, healing from that as well. So it's been a tough summer, but Hey, it just gives, it just gives me an opportunity to do more penance and, uh, offer sacrifices for a lot of the situ- for the Pope, a lot of prelates in the world, my family, myself and others as well. Amen. That's good. Jess. I keep up the good work and. You know, I mean, we don't ask for this stuff to come on, at least. No, we don't. Ruben, but you know what? It's only in the Catholic faith that all this stuff makes sense. If I was in a Catholic, suffering wouldn't make sense. This is why guys off themselves, you know, guys just eat their gun and guys just, you know, their suicide is is, is at an all-time high right now. Yeah. People don't know what to do with suffering. We do. Right. And we give it right back to Jesus and say, Jesus, Mm -hmm. for my sins and in reparation for the sins of the whole world, starting with my family. Right. And most people would say, well, why me, Lord? Why me? I've been a good person, you know. You know what I say, Ruben? I say, why not me? Yeah. It's my time in the barrel. I've had a pretty good life. Yeah. I've been pretty healthy all my life. And why not me? Why not? It's, it's time for me to do some suffering. So I say quite the opposite. Yeah. Better better suffering in this life than the next. So. Yeah. Hey, Ruben, just want to mention to the audience that if they, uh, if they like what they hear, they get to support the show by sharing the full show at vmpr.org. vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMP Radio, at VMP Radio. And we got a YouTube channel called Full Sheen Ahead. You can share us with your friends and evangelize everyone you love. Well, let's jump right into it, Ruben. We got a brave priest here speaking out. That's right. A Scotland priest, he pens an open letter regarding the state of the church. Souls are being endangered, he says. I don't know, Jess, if you, if you, when you go to that article at the bottom, it says you want to read more. I don't know if you open that other link. There's quite a bit more too. Yeah, it would be too long for that. I think we'll just keep stick with this. I think this will give, give us two okay. segments here. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But it's, yeah. It, yeah, it's really good stuff. Anyway, oh, it is. um, first Friday, uh, I'm sorry, Friday, Friday, the first. So July, 2022, feast of the most precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's, he's given the date of his letter. The last day of octave, the last day of octave to remember St. John, the Baptist's birth. He who leapt in the mother's womb when the Lord Jesus said, entered the room in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he who was beheaded because he stood for the truth, and of mm. whom Christ said, of no greater man was born of a woman. Then he said, Son of man, remember everything I say to you. Listen closely and go to your exiled countrymen and talk to them. Tell them, the Lord says, this, whether they listen or not, yeah, Ezekiel 2.10. And uh, Ezekiel 2.10 says, And he, he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. So he's given his fellow priests something to think about. And mm-hmm. he goes on. Ruben, a lot of priests are writing out right now. They're speaking out. This is not the only one, but, but continue. Yeah. 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 
Dear fellow Catholics, truth, what is it? Where should we Catholics place it in our daily lives? For the good of our souls and our eternal destination, we need to ask ourselves this key question in these traumatic and frightening times. Jesus answered, It is you who say that I am a king. I was born for this. I came into the world for this, to bear witness to the truth. And all who are on the side of truth, listen to my voice. Truth, you know, question mark, said Pilate. What is that? The chief priests and the scribes hated and crucified Christ because he brought and made known the truth. There have been many frightening things happening in our world which endanger the eternal future of our souls. Hence, I feel moved to write this letter. Go ahead, Justin, take over. Then he gives a three-part outline. By the way, the whole, the whole basis of this article from this Catholic priest from Scotland is objective truth. He sees that the church in high places is losing the ability to give us objective truth, and the church is moving towards relativism. That's why he's, he penned this letter, and again, he references John eighteen twenty eight to, to 40, the, the, the conversation that Pontius Pilate had with the Lord Jesus Christ, where Pontius Pilate said, what is truth? We have a lot of bishops and prelates in our church today saying what is truth as well, as well as Catholic politicians. So he outlines three things, or there's three, there's three things he's going to address in this letter. He says, number one, I intend to address priests, myself included, to consider the meaning of Christ's priesthood and what it should mean to us. Number two, actions of both priests and then of Pope Francis and of bishops both in Scotland and the world, which are contrary to our priesthood. Wow. Number three, I shall address events recently in Scotland and the UK as well as the events in the world which we should fear because they could result in my soul, your soul being lost. Our Lady of Fatima showed the three children of Fatima that any one of us could end up being a soul suffering in hell for eternity. Then he goes into, and we'll go back and forth on some of these saints here. He says, let me start by addressing one grave, grave lie told by some priests, bishops, and cardinals. What is it? There is no hell. Father says, that is rubbish. Those priests and people are frightening you, uh, frightening you with about hell. God loves us all. We are all going to heaven. Absolute rubbish. Satanic deceit. So, Reuben, what do some of the doctors of the church say about the doctrine of hell? St. John Chrysostom. Uh, what do they call him? Golden tongue? or oh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, golden mouth or golden Go, tongue. Yeah. Both, I've heard. Bishop and one of the 36 doctors of the Catholic Church said, The road to hell is paved with the bones of priests and monks, and the skulls of bishops are the lampposts that light the path. Ouch. Yeah. St. Athanasius, another doctor of the church, goes further than St. John Chrysostom by saying, quote, The floor to hell is paved with the skulls of priests, close quote. Mm. St. Teresa of Avila, also a doctor of the church, warns us, quote, Remember, dear Christian, you have but one soul to save, one God to serve, one eternity to expect. Death will come soon, judgment will follow, and then heaven or hell forever, end quote. These are all doctors of the church, people whose teaching and example are held in high esteem by the church, which is why they are given the title of doctor of the church, and there are only 36 of them, so the church does not hand this title out willy-nilly. 
Um, so why is that? Why is it that so many of the priests deceive continually, lie to our flocks about hell and damnation? Christ tells us very clearly of its existence in the gospel. The shaft will be burned on a on a fire that never goes out. The parable of a rich man and Lazarus. It's not possible for anyone to cross over, and yet. I recently heard, to my amazement, one such priest bishop claimed that there is no hell. Someone would have come back by now to tell us, so was Jesus lying in that parable? Go ahead, Jess. Brothers, for the good of your souls and the souls of the sheep whom you and I will be called to give an account for on the day of judgment, should ask ourselves, would Jesus have lied to us? He who died on the cross for our sins and the salvation of our souls... And forget not what the Father said at the Transfiguration. Close quote. This is my son, the beloved, my beloved, listen to him. Close quote. Mm -hmm. Regarding the little children, the Bible says, anyone who would do any harm to the least of these little ones would be better cast into the sea with a great millstone around his neck. By the way, a millstone is an 100-pound rock. That's Mm -hmm. That's what the definition of a millstone is. If the actions of we priests are endangering the little ones, Christ will be there at the right hand of the Father at our judgment to confirm these great evils committed by us. I fear the Father's wrath. The Queen of Heaven, Our Lady of Fatima, did not lie to the three children of Fatima when showing them the vision of soul suffering for all eternity in hell. Please accept and realize this truth for the good of your soul and the well-being of the souls entrusted to your care. So this priest, the Scotland's priest, is writing to other priests around the world. And you could tell that this guy really cares for his priesthood and the souls of his fellow priest. Yeah, and in that uh, vision, um, Our Lady told Francisco to pray, to pray many rosaries, you know. And uh, if that was not the case, you know, that there weren't people who are going to hell, why would she ask him to do that, you know? I mean, part of it was for his his own penance, but also to, to help uh, alleviate or and prevent people from going to hell. Mm-hmm. So um, he goes on to say that uh, as Catholic priests, what is our priesthood? What should we be seeking to do through it? And he says, as we address this question, let's remember that John the Baptist's actions, who he who, because of his behavior, pleased the Son of God so much, uh, no greater man born of a woman, that's what Jesus called him. And we similarly trying to please God in our priestly actions, or is it the world we are more interested in pleasing? Hmm. And in many cases, that's that's truth. Um, our priesthood is that which we ask Jesus Christ to share with us on the day of our ordination. Christ's priesthood conferred on Christ by the Father, which we ask Jesus to share as we go forward for priesthood. In that priesthood, we ask, which because of the Father's wish, we reenact the perfect sacrifice of Christ at the Last Supper and on Calvary for the sins of the mankind? Or do we, or do we, the offering made in complete obedience to and love of the Father and love of us, his brothers and sisters on earth, created in his image and likeness, it is that attempt to please the Father that we as priests should be fervently trying to do every time we celebrate Mass. Amen. This, this man knows his priesthood. Yeah. He knows why he was ordained. Jesus 911, two man call, Ruben Abba, Jess Romero. We're going to continue talking about this letter written by this holy Scottish priest to his priest brothers around the world. He even wrote it to the Pope and Bishop. Stay tuned. Now. 
back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we are back. Second segment, and we're talking about a Scotland priest who who penned a, an open letter regarding the state of the church. So he wrote it to his fellow priests, and um, it's it's pretty meaty. And uh, we, we've probably all have seen, to some extent, uh, one priest or another that have have been guilty of some of these things that he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give him, give him some credit. His name's Father Stephen Dunn. He deserves credit. He's a Glasgow priest from the Archdiocese of Glasgow. Uh, in the church and within the Church of Scotland, this is a another, again just God keeps raising up all these little John the Baptists all over the church amongst priests and bishops, and that's what we need. We need people uh, to speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. He may pay a price. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but nonetheless, he figures that I'm a, I'm a priest of the Most High God. I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Do I want to be a man pleaser? Do I want to be a God pleaser? Yeah, he goes on now to talk about the theology of the Mass. It's very beautiful. He says, what is the Mass to Catholics, especially to priests, what should it be? The Mass is a reenactment in full, not a symbol uh, as some deceitfully propagate, yep. just like Satan deceiving Adam and Eve that they would become gods if they ate the forbidden fruit. The perfect sacrifice of Christ where he gives us his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Mass, Christ says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, you will not have life within you. When the crowds departed, when he taught them this, he turned to the apostles and said, And do you also wish to go? Peter answered, As we should be answering, especially in these times of grave peril. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the message of eternal life. And never forget it is God who substantiates this in the consecration of the bread and wine to his body and blood. And to those who don't have faith in transubstantiation, who claim the consecrated species is simply a symbol, who draw their minds to, why doesn't it taste like a piece of meat? Why, doesn't it, why does it not taste like the blood from meat? Because it is God who can do anything. And God has said so. He who died for our sins would not sin and lie to us. Reuben? That's right. Father Martin von Kochem, in his excellent book, The Incredible Catholic Mass, an explanation of the Mass writes about the exalted dignity of the sacrifice of the Mass, which he says, we shall comprehend more fully when we consider who it is who offers this divine oblation, i.e. something offered to God, presented to God. <clears throat> who indeed is it? A priest, a bishop, a pope, an angel, a saint, or perhaps the Blessed Mother of God? Not so. It is none other than the greatest of all priests and bishops, the only begotten Son of the Eternal Father, Jesus Christ, anointed by the Father, a high priest, a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This is what gives to the holy sacrifice of the Mass its immense, all-surpassing excellence and renders it very, uh, very uh, truth, a divine oblation. Quoting St. John Chrysostom, The priest is only a minister, for he who sanctifies and transforms the victim is Christ himself, who at the Last Supper changed the bread into his flesh, that he continues to do now. Therefore, O Christian, when you see the priest at the altar, think not that it is he who offers the sacrifice, but believe that it is the hand of Christ invisible to mortal sight. Mm. Mm. The following prayer from the traditional Latin Mass greatly greatly helps one to, to be drawn to the Father and helps us to reflect 
on how we should have pleased the Holy Trinity. Yeah. The prayer goes like this. May the tribute of my homage be pleasing to you, most holy Trinity. Grant that the sacrifice which I, unworthy as I, uh, am, have offered in the presence of thy majesty, may be acceptable to you. Through your mercy, may it bring forgiveness to me and to all for whom I have offered it, through Christ our Lord. Amen. I mean, that's the theology of the priesthood right there, that that, that uh Prayer from the Latin Mass. Yeah, I believe that's right at the at the end of Mass, right before he gives us our blessing. Mm. The above brings us to briefly focus on the grave question of corrupt sexual practices and bishops and priests supporting it. So we need to ask the question. Are priests and those studying for the priesthood who practice and support such sexual deviancies worthy of sharing Christ's priesthood? I say no. That's me, Jess Romero. Mm-hmm. Are they fit to celebrate Christ's Mass? Jess Romero, I say no. Ruben? Yeah. And then bishops of the world, chief shepherds, your duty is to serve Christ's church in truth. Nothing less. Um, this good priest goes on to say, Pope Francis, Bishop of Rome, you have sold the Catholic Church in China for a yearly mm. payment made to Vatican Bank to the Chinese Communist Party to appoint its bishops, a deal you did through Cardinal McCarrick, who advocated and freely... Practice sodomy and such devious sexual practices, just like Judas Iscariot sold Christ to the chief priests. Francis, you favorably meet with Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, who advocate abortion up to nine months, who I state without doubt, whilst they continue to advocate this grave evil, are false Catholics, Judas Iscariots. Francis, you say that if you should freely and without any fear receive the most holy Eucharist, Whilst they support and stand for such abortion. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh his own damnation, because he discerneth not the Lord's body. You, Francis, say that they should do it when the Lord's chosen apostle to the Gentiles, St. Paul says to the contrary. Francis, you have no authority, I repeat, you, you no authority, Pope, or not, to contradict what God has given to his flock through the sacred scriptures of St. Paul. You are advocating the will of Satan and the world, which continuously fights against the will of God. So he's he's hammering uh, the the Pope here, and and rightly so. Um, you know he's resisting him to his basically resi- resisting him to his face, like what Paul did to Peter. You know. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, continue, Ruben. Go ahead and continue. You have <clears throat> you have met with those who advocate sodomy, one of of the sins crying to heaven for vengeance. Those who are for tr- for transgenderism, something that accuses God of miscreating us. Ruben, these are all true statements he's making. Th- th- this is painful, but it's true. This isn't. This is not embellishment or making things up. These are things that the Holy Father he's made statements, positive statements about this. Yeah. And you have a you have a holy priest. This guy's putting his head on the chopping block. Literally, this is this is he's putting the head on the guillotine. He has nothing but my respect because he realizes, am I going to go and see Christ and be a coward? Or am I going to go see Christ without my head like John the Baptist, but speaking the truth? And he's chosen the latter. Yeah, yeah. They're going to take my retirement from me. He doesn't, he doesn't he, care. He's not, because it, he's not worried. Not, not yeah. worried about that. Wow. Uh, what, a, what, a, what a courageous, brave priest. Yeah. Go ahead, Ruben. So you say that the church has to change and accept people who openly advocate and practice similar grave sexual practices, evils of Satan. Absolutely not. The church is the church of Jesus Christ. Um, 
God the Son. God the Son, founded, as he told us, on St. Peter, profession of faith of who Jesus is, something the church celebrated a couple of days ago, June 29th. You are advocating evil solutions to the Lord's flock, and thus I seriously fear for your soul. Look, this is something important. Notice what he said here. He said, that remember, the Catholic Church is the Church of Jesus Christ. In other words, the 267 popes, they're successors of Peter, a sinner. They're not successors of Jesus. Nobody's a successor of Jesus. Right. He's unique. They're successors of Peter. And so again, just like we see in Scripture, Jesus said to Peter, Get be after Jesus gives him the keys and calls him the rock. He says, "Get behind me, Satan." Why? Because there's some there's times, all of us as men, sometimes we act more worldly and sinful mm-hmm. than we do than we act like Christians. And so Jesus called Peter out for acting like a worldly guy and said, "Get behind me, Satan." This is exactly what this priest is doing. He says. He writes to the Holy Father, "You have nominated a priest, Father Roche, to lead the congregation for the faith." and suppress and eliminate the celebration of the traditional Mass, which many of the great saints, doctors, martyrs celebrated. Francis, I say directly to you, this is not the action of God, but is of Satan, who is trying to suppress the true celebration of the Most Holy Mass. You are suggesting that God, through the Second Vatican Council, wished to suppress and eliminate, eliminate the traditional Latin Mass, and this is nothing less than deceit, just like Satan deceived Adam and Eve. Please, Francis, turn from this evil... From the deceits of Satan, return to the true church, that of Jesus Christ. And as Christ says, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the repentant sinner than 99 good men. Hmm. And he talks about bishops who carry out actions clearly not of God. He says Bishop Joseph Toll, by ordaining Christopher Morris, while he allegedly continues to engage in the gay lifestyle, something you made very clear to you by numerous priests in the Diocese of Motherwell, you betrayed Christ's priesthood. You cast the great pearl priesthood of the church before swine to be trodden. That was wicked. And he also talks to Bishop Joseph Towell. I say to your face, reinstate Father Matthew Desbard now to his full duties as a priest for the people of Motherwell Diocese. You have no right to remove him and suspend him for showing the priesthood in crisis in Motherwell. Information since shown to be true. By suppressing such truth, you are doing the work of Satan, and by continuing to fail to reinstate Father Desbard, Bishop Toel, you suppress the truth. You are thus doing the work of Satan. Boy, this guy's this guy's a, a truth teller. Go ahead, Ruben, finish it up. Archbishop William Nolan, by your actions in stopping the people of Father Desbard's parish, praying for him in the church when you were an assistant priest there, telling them to get out of the of Christ's church, you deprived the sheep of acting in a humble, reverent, and loving way on behalf of their much loved shepherd. Father Despard, your uh, your action was that of a ravenous wolf disguised as a shepherd. I would urge you to apologize now in full to Father Despard, asking him to forgive you for such a grave inst- injustice. Can you believe that? These people are praying in the church for their beloved priest, and the, and the bishop throws them out of the church. And um, it, it's despicable. I, I, I can't even believe we're living in these times, Jesse. Uh, I mean, do you, you ever think that we'd be able... To say these things about bishops and priests? No, Ruben. When you and me were were really coming to an understanding of our faith some 25, 30 years ago, we didn't imagine this. We we, we would not have imagined something like this. Uh, Then he talks about Bishop John Keenan. You have a duty, not a choice, to cleanse the Lord's threshing floor of the evil that has entered your diocese, for example. 
those advocating grave sexual misconduct and showing it on public websites. Mm. Then he says you can click there and you can see it. Well, I won't do that. By failing to remove this person from seminary, you are betraying Christ and endangering souls. Thus, Bishop, you will be judged more most harshly. To bishops who support and are obedient to Francis, who is who clearly is serving the world, not Christ, the same harsh judgment awaits each of you. This letter has been written with good intentions, and I trust that it is it is read by all concerned in a spirit of charity. Please pray for me. Thank you. God bless you all. Father Stephen Dunn. Reuben, this you could just tell this is a this is a holy priest that's willing to put his priesthood on the chopping block for the sake of Holy Mother Church. Wow. And you know this has to hurt him. This is you know, he's to see to see the deceit and uh and the the gravity to which the church has fallen, man. It's Reuben, if you and me are hurt by all yeah. this and we're lay people, can you imagine a priest of the most high God, somebody who laid down on his face and was consecrated to serve God forever as a priest? If you and me are wounded because of these modernist liberals trying to destroy the church, imagine people like Father Stephen Dunn and others. Yep. All right. Jesus 911, we're coming back. We're going to be talking about uh, robots. Yeah. Is AI a threat to Christianity? Be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. We are switching gears talking about uh, AI. It's 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 in the news a lot. So we're we're bringing this up to uh Yeah, to- that's it. Ruin, that's exactly why I kind of wanted to revisit this topic. Mm-hmm. This is a huge topic. It's not going away. Uh, and, and this is a topic that I think is just dangerous. I think it's more it's more dangerous than most people uh, would even give it credit for. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, again, I, I look at the movie, a lot of movies that have come out in Hollywood about robots and machines turning on the human race. And I know we sit down and laugh and eat our pot gore and drink soda and stuff. Um I think there's an underlying message behind all of that. And I, I think we're at that point right now where these globalist, modernist, liberal, God-hating, great reset people would try to do something like this. Mm, you have Terminators coming after us, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they may, they may not look like that exactly, mm. but the the point is, I think this whole AI is going to be used uh, to turn, again, what's what's their goal, the great reset, these uh, yeah. this new world order? Yeah depopulate planet earth what's the best way to depopulate planet earth than turning machines against us because mm. somebody say oops oh I, I don't know how that happened you know nobody's going to take responsibilities as me as these machines start attacking people in their house people are going to say i don't know what happened who i don't ask fauci ask biden i don't know send the machine to to prison uh, <laughs> yeah go ahead so is ai a threat to christianity i say yes i i believe it is in his relatively short tenure, Pope Francis has been hard at work welcoming spiritual seekers into the Catholic Church. He's refused to judge LGBT people. He sought to integrate divorced couples and extended priests' ability to forgive abortion. But Francis' white arms have arguably never stretched further than a mass in 2014 when he suggested the church would baptize Martians. Hmm. Okay, I don't know if that was just tongue-in-cheek, but... But here's, I guess, here's what what he said. Pope Francis said this in 2014, quote, If, for example, 
Tomorrow an expedition of Martians came, and one says, But I want to be baptized. What would happen? Pope Francis asked, When the Lord shows us the way, who are we to say, No, Lord, it is not prudent. No, let's do it this way. I'm not sure exactly what he means, Ruben. That, I, I don't know what he means. That, that means to baptize Martians. I don't know what he means by that. Um, but nonetheless, while playful, this odd scenario got at a serious question about just how far the church's welcome can go. Should Christianity's world's largest religion embrace all intelligent life, even aliens? Granted, the arrival of green space creatures seeking salvation isn't very likely, but the Pope's lesson opens the door to the acceptance of another science fiction stalwart as well, one that's not so easily dismissed, namely hyper-intelligent machines. And this is exactly, Ruben, what worries me. I'm not worried so much about the machines. I'm worried about the people that built the machines and operate them because they're they're secular, humanist, godless liberals who hate life, who hate the church. And if anybody thinks that they're going to make these machines to be harmless to just to mow our lawn and to wash our dishes, you got something else coming. (laughs) Well, most theologians aren't paying it much attention. Some technologists are convinced that artificial intelligence is on an inevitable path toward autonomy. How far away this may depends on on whom you ask, but the trajectory raises some fundamental questions for Christianity as well as religion broadly conceived. Though for this article, I'm going to stick to the faith tradition I know best. In fact, AI may be the greatest threat to Christian theology since Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species. Wow, that's a big statement right there because Darwin, as a result of his Origin of Species, We've been battling with the the demon of atheism in colleges, high schools with our kids. This is why the churches are empty. And uh, this could be worse than even the origin of species. That's a a huge statement. Yep, yep. Uh, We didn't come from tadpoles, Jesse. That's for Mm -hmm. sure. So for decades, decades, artificial intelligence has been advancing at breakneck speed. Today, computers can fly planes, interpret x-rays, and sift through forensic evidence. Algorithms can paint masterpiece artworks and compose symphonies in the style of Bach. And Google is developing artificial moral reasoning so that its driverless cars can make decisions about potential accidents. AI is already here. It's real. It's quickening, says Kevin Kelly, co-founder of Wired Magazine, the author of The Inevitable Understanding, The 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future. I think the formula for the next 10,000 startups is to take something that already exists and add AI to it. If AI is autonomous, then we should encourage, we should encourage it to, par- to participate in Christ's redemptive purposes in the world. Hey, let's use AI to evangelize, right? Yeah. Despite AI's promise, certain thinkers are deeply concerned about a time when machines might become fully sentient, rational agents, beings with emotions, consciousness, and self-awareness. Well, that describes a human person. This mm-hmm. is this is weird. This is scary. The development of full artificial inte- intelligence could spell the end of the human race. Once again, just think about the movie The Terminator, the opening scenes. If you don't believe me, look at what Stephen Hawking, one of the foremost atheists which passed away back in 2014, he told the BBC 
but he was a respected scientist. He said this, quote, so it's not only Jesse Romero saying this, it's the, it's the smartest atheist scientist that lived in the 20th century who's now dead. He said this, once humans develop artificial intelligence, it would take, on its own, it would take off on its own and redesign itself at an ever-increasing rate. Humans who are limited by slow biological evolution couldn't compete and would be superseded. What does that mean, superseded? It means replaced. Mm. That's what Stephen Hawkins just said. Yeah. The explosion of artificial intelligence, often referred to as the singularity, is one of many features technologists have envisioned for robots. robots. Not all so apocalyptic, but the possibility of any threat to humans, even if small, is real enough that some are advocating for precautionary measures. More than 8,000 people, including, again, Stephen Hawking, Noam Chomsky, another intellectual liberal, and Elon Musk, have signed an open letter warning against the potential pitfalls of AI development. Again, so I'm tracking in the right direction with a lot of these uh, engineers and scientists. I just come at it from a biblical perspective. I just know the heart of man is wicked. And because of concupiscence, I know what man's going to do when they get this type of, uh, they, have, they have this type of technology. Mm. Ryan Kahlo, a Washington University law professor, argues for the development of a federal robotics commission to monitor and regulate developments so that we don't innovate irresponsibly. Yeah, all we need is more commissions, more government, bigger government, more federal dollars. Mm-hmm. And trust me, uh, uh, just like just like any agency, Ruben, we've seen, it depends who's in power. When the Democrats in power, the FBI, the CIA, people that you never thought, the Department of Justice, they can be bought. Mm-hmm. They're weaponized against us. That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, concerns mostly center on economics, government, and ethics. There's also spiritual dimension to what we're making. Kelly argues, if you create other things that think for themselves, a serious theological disruption will occur. Mm-hmm. History lends credibility to this prediction, given that many major scientific advances have had religious impacts. When Galileo promoted the heliocentrism in the 1600s, it famously challenged trad- traditional Christian interpretations of certain Bible passages, which seemed to teach that the earth was the center of the universe. When Charles Darwin popularized the theory of natural selection in the 1800s, it challenged traditional Christian beliefs about the origins of life. The trend has continued with modern genetics and climatology. The creation of non-human autonomous robots would disrupt religion like everything else on an entirely new scale. If he says, quote, if humans were to create free willed beings, says Kelly, who who was raised Catholic and identifies as a Christian, uh, absolutely every single aspect of traditional theology would be challenged and to have to be reinterpreted in some capacity. Take the soul, for instance. Christians have mostly understood the soul to be a uniquely human element, an, etern- an internal and an eternal component that animates our spiritual sides. The notion originates from the creation narrative in the biblical book of Genesis where God created human beings in God's own image. In the story, God forms Adam, the first human, out of the dust and breathes life into his nostrils to make him literally a living soul. Christians believe that all humans since that time similarly possess God's image and a soul. Mm -hmm. But what exactly is a soul? 
St. Augustine, the early Christian philosopher, once observed that, quote, I have therefore found nothing certain about the origin of the soul in the canonical scriptures. I would have to find out. I'd have to. I, I would question that statement. By yeah, the way. Yeah. A Protestant wrote the article. Uh, he probably filched something from a larger. It doesn't sound like St. Augustine would no, say but something like Saint that. St. Augustine quoted. He was, he, he was saying that. I mean, Augustine said that. He believed that the soul and the body make up a human, and he asserted that the soul is immortal because it possesses truth. There you go. And because the soul is is capable of grasping scientific truth, and because truth is immortal, the soul too is immortal. That's what Augustine said. The the pro, this Protestant uh, mis uh, misquoted him, obviously, yeah. just like like they usually do. Yeah. It says, and Mike McCarg, a self described Christian mystic, whatever that is an author of Finding God in the Waves, How I Lost My Faith and Found It Again Through Science, believes that the rise of AI would draw out the ambiguities in the ways that many Christians have defined terms like consciousness and soul. Those in religious context don't know precisely what a soul is. Now, that's not true. We have, we have, the Catholic Church has a very well-defined. Yeah. We've understood it to be some non-physical essence of an individual that's not dependent upon or, or tied to their body. Would AI have a soul by that definition? No, that's impossible. Right. It can't have a soul no. because it's a machine. If this seems like an absurd question, consider technology such as in vitro fertilization and genetic cloning. Intelligent life is created by humans in each case, but presumably many Christians would agree that those beings have a soul. Of course they do. Because mm -hmm. when there's a, a sperm egg fusion, however that happens, God... Uh, God attaches a soul to that the, the sperm egg fusion where we have where we create human life. We'll be right back talking about artificial intelligence, uh, Jesus nine one one two man car, and we're going to give a little definition of what is the soul. Now, back to Jesus nine one one. If this call is not an emergency. Dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we're back. We're talking about the, the threat to Christianity by AI. And uh, this author has brought up some things about uh, about the soul that, um, I mean, it didn't resonate well with us. I think you, you gathered the same thing, Jesse. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a Protestant guy. And so obviously they don't... They don't have... uh, they they have an incomplete understanding of theology and even philosophy. Yeah, they don't. So, have, they don't have a, a, a catechism or or the magisterium to turn to. No, they don't. They yeah. just basically look at a couple of Bible verses and they'll, they'll argue about what it means. Yeah. So what 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 is a soul? Let's look at what the church actually teaches about a soul. The church says that we are, and this comes from Aristotle and Saint Thomas developed it. Saint Thomas Aquinas said that the human beings that were what's called hylomorphic beings. What does that mean? It means that we are a body-soul composite. The human person is a body-soul composite. Uh, St. Thomas also says that the soul is the form of the body. The soul is the form of the body. And he also says that everything we do physically, the body, uh, or the soul, excuse me, the soul acts through the body. I raise my left hand right now. You know, I, I coughed. Whatever you do, uh, the, these are actions of the soul that come through the body. Uh, what else could we say about the soul? The, the, the soul nonetheless exists separately from the body, and we see that because at the point of death, there's going to be a separation, right. only, only for a short time. Uh, 
Now, St. Thomas Aquinas says that the human body is only partly composed of matter, and he means the material body is only potentially a human being. The soul is what actualizes that potential into an existing human being because without the soul, yeah. the body's just a hunk of ground beef. It's just yeah. a piece, it's just a slab of, you know, yeah. ground beef. So consequently, that a human body is alive with human tissue, that entails that the human soul is wholly present in each part of the human being, and it's given to us by God at the moment of conception. Mm-hmm. Now, you even, you even find, Reuben, even non-believers, they, they're realizing that there's thousands and thousands of documented life-after-death experiences mm-hmm. in these institutes. Uh, these, these, uh, there's actually in, medical institutes that are dedicated to, to studying people who have had life-after-death experiences, and they demonstrate. These are doctors that are not even Catholic or Protestant. They're saying, without a doubt, something of spirit, a soul, there is something that exceeds the human body after death. And so these doctors that are studying life-after-death experiences are saying, these Catholics are onto something. There is something that exceeds the body after death. We call it a soul, we call it a spirit, but there is something that lives on forever. Now, the, the last thing I would say about the soul is, again, the, the soul is, is, is the substantial form of the body. The soul operates through the body. And so what, what's the, what are the operations of the soul? This is how you can tell you have a soul. Because the operations of the soul are the intellect, the mind, imagination, understanding, and the will. That, those are the operations of the soul. In other words, the, the intellect tells us what is true, and the will tells us to do what is good. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the last thing I would say is St. Thomas says that, that we have what's called the higher faculties of the soul and the lower faculties of the soul. The higher faculties of the soul are called the intellect and the will. Kind of think about like above the waist, you know, just to use the human analogy. Mm-hmm. And the lower faculty of the soul, St. Thomas calls them the passions. The passions, which think about below the waist. And so, again, there's so, so every human being has a hierarchy in his or her soul. And, and at the top of the hierarchy is, again, the rational intellect. And below uh, is, that is the will. And then below that are the passions, which the Catechism, St. Thomas Aquinas says, every human being has 11 passions that emanate from the soul. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I guess just like in layman's terms, the, the, the soul is like, is that what animates the body? There you go. It's like the, it's like the puppeteer who, who's, the puppet just sits there and just can't do anything. But with the puppeteer, he gives the, the puppet movement and, you know, maybe a voice and, and all that. So that's... Uh, Ruben, that's a perfect definition because the word soul in Latin is anima. Mm, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And the word exactly the word anima in Latin, translated in English, is animate. In Spanish, it's animar. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. The body's just like a puppet. It's just going to sit there. Not, it's not going to move until the soul animates that puppet. So that's a that's a perfect analogy that you used. Yeah, and and the soul is really who we are. And you know, yeah. yeah well, the the body lies in death. Our soul, who we are. Uh, ret- lives and returns on to the Lord for judgment, Reuben, and that's what I found in this article that this Protestant he he didn't he didn't have a deep understanding of this. Mm. I mean, he was ta- he was saying some good things that I agree with him about AI and the dangers of it, but when he got into when he got into the soul, he uh, 
he lost me again because uh, he didn't have a he didn't have a good grasp of what he was talking about when he come to the soul. By the way, here's kind of another question that people will will ask about again. The soul animates, just like we talked about. The soul animates. Plants have souls, by the way. Notice the way plants grow and then they die. Why? Because plants, St. Thomas Aquinas says, they have vegetative souls. Animals have souls as well. Animals, you know, they can feel, they move from place to place, they live and they die. What type of uh, soul does a plant, an animal have? It's called sensitive souls. Humans, we're the only species that have rational souls. That allows us to have rational thought and rational souls were made for eternity. They're immortal. Mm. So we're the only ones that have immortal souls. Now, I know there's a debate amongst people. You know, they talk about, is there going to be animals in heaven? <laughs> well, again, animals, so. animals don't have rational souls. Right. But that doesn't mean that God you know, can't uh, can't create animals in heaven. God is God. He can do whatever he yeah. wants. Yeah. And, and you'll see, for example, in the book of Isaiah, it says that in heaven, the lion shall sleep with the lamb. Well, mm-hmm. those are it, it also says in the book of Revelation that at the final judgment, what's going to come down from heaven? A bunch of so- saints on white horses and the Lord Jesus Christ on a white horse. So yeah. there's at least horses in heaven. There's at least lions and sheep in heaven, according to Isaiah. So again, I, I, here's what I believe: anything that gave us um, that gave us pleasure, good pleasure in a yeah. good sense, in this life, God is going to, you know, uh, give us that pleasure a hundredfold. And so, if you had a pet that gave you pleasure in this life, why? I, the question is, why can't God? Uh, give you that pet once again in heaven. Yeah. He's God. He can do anything he wants. I know you're going to say, just, but they don't have a rational soul. I get that. Yeah. But again, God can break uh, the laws of physics and biology because he's God. Yeah. I, I A priest uh, told me the same thing, Jesse. He said that's, that, you know, what, what brought you pleasure in this life could, that could also, God could also give you that same pleasure with your animal. If your animals, I mean, yeah. I'm a dog lover. So, I mean, we just got back from out of town yesterday and picked the dogs from the kennel, and boy, they ran to us like it was just their their family. You know, I yeah, want I yeah. want Judah up there with me and and uh, yeah. Penny and the dogs that I've had in the past because Ruben sometimes they're more faithful than human. Oh, beings. definitely. I mean, we could learn a lot from the, because all they want to do is love you and uh, and they just wait for your you know for you to return that, but they don't you know they don't judge you. They just it, it's. It's uh, we can learn a lot from from dogs. That's for dang, darn sure. So yeah, so the verdict is out for me again. I'm, God can do what He wants. I know people really debate this issue about is there animals in heaven. I'm not going to die on that hill. God yeah. can do what He wants. I know. I get it. They don't have a rational soul. Mm-hmm. I understand. But again, uh, God is the God of miracles. God can make something out of nothing. And mm-hmm. so if He wants to bring you pleasure in heaven uh, from something that brought you good wholesome pleasure on earth. God can do that. That's great. S- simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. All right, Ruben. This up. You want to finish? This yeah. Up? Here's here's a, a one sentence, one paragraph from this article that he, that's I think it's worth mentioning. This the Protestant writes. He says there will be a point in the future when these free willed beings, talking about the AIs, these robots, say to us, "I believe in God. What do I do?" There are no easy answers for Christians willing to entertain these questions, and certainly, certainly there's a case to be made that Christians shouldn't bother in the first place. 
The Christian Bible never anticipates non-human intelligence, much less address the questions and concerns it creates. It does, however, teach that God has established a special relationship with humans that is unique among all the creatures. Russell Bork, a professor at the Evangelical Gordon College, who is cautious about broadening the Christian understanding of personhood to include AI, we can't include them as persons, by the way, argues in the journal Perspectives on Science and Christian Faith, what makes human beings special, what makes human special is not what humanity is, but rather it is God's relationship to us based on his purpose for making us. Let me just say as a Catholic, AI will never be a, a child of God. No. They'll never be part of the family of God. They're machines. They don't have souls. I don't care what anybody argues. I don't care if you can program, to, to program them to say that they love God. The fact is, only the human person, the human species, is made in the image and likeness of God. That means that we have an intellect and a will. We have a rational soul. And in this way, we resemble God. There's no way by man's uh, construct or, or man devising some type of uh, you know, technological plan there's no way they can create a, an AI species that's going to have a rational soul. Impossible. They will never be children of God. And, and uh, th- yeah, th- this this other guy they quoted earlier, Kevin Kelly, he says that uh, they should make a catechism for robots. A catechism, you know, it's a statement of faith. And uh, like in a question and answer format, kind of like our Baltimore catechism. And and um, th- that's typically taught to children. And uh Kelly says he, he takes the idea very seriously, even suggested in a keynote talk at, at a Q conference in, in an annual gathering of more than 1,000 prominent leaders. I don't know about that, Jesse. Um, I mean, they could program these things to do anything. And, I mean, if they could spew out, you know, the religious traditions of the Catholic Church, I mean, that's fine. You could have, you can learn from from them. If um, just, that, just like another source that you might, you know, go to Google or... or uh, duck duck uh, whatever go you know mm-hmm. just you type in what you want and, and they spews out whatever has been programmed into it so anyway we're, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna go back this is this is right here before us it's it, we're going we're going ahead with this stuff i mean i mean tesla's got cars that drive by themselves you know and uh there's there's really nothing this that can't can be done except put a soul in a in a computer yeah. yeah, they can't do that. I don't care how much money they dump into it. Nope. Hey, you've been listening to Jesus 911. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Remember the Blessed Virgin Mary. Listen to what she says in John chapter 2, verse 5. Do whatever he tells you. Pray your rosary. Read your Bible. Live in a state of grace. Go to confession if you're in a state of mortal sin. Go to Mass as often as possible. Be holy or die trying. Up next... Coming up in a few minutes, you'll hear more about uh, hands-on apologetics with Jerry Machuda coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for Ruben and Jess, we are EOW. End of watch. Thank you for listening to the show. God bless you.